lead pastor began on week one by talking about the fact that our identity is in him. It's not in the circumstances around our life. It's not in what we might feel. It's in him. And we talked about those who feel and call themselves rebel, those who name themselves poor, those who name themselves insignificant, and those who name themselves striving. But today, we're talking about those who name themselves alone. Alone. Now, if you're calling yourself alone, you'll know by the end of this talk that that isn't your name. To call yourself alone is really quite a devastating thing. And it can put you in a place, a not very good place. And we all need to know what our true identity is. And the reason that we can confidently say that that is not our identity, alone is not what our name is, is because we have our identity in Jesus. There are many Christians who feel alone. And that's the first thing that God identifies after he created the world that wasn't good. Because he says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I think that's a really amazing kind of uh, statement for God to have made just so soon after his creation. He sees all this wonder, all this splendor that he has put in place and then he says it's not good for man to be alone. God's saying it's not pleasant to be by yourself. And that's probably the first thing that we need to say this morning. God knows what it's like to be alone and he's saying to you today it's not pleasant and he doesn't want you to feel like that. Well, stuff happens in life, and there's all sorts of reasons why people feel alone. Um, and I've talked to a number of people over the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing this talk, and I've talked to those who have experienced death in a family, and they say that, you know, at such a time, uh, they certainly feel alone, as we can easily imagine. And they say that some of the emotions they feel are being helpless and alienated and grief-stricken. I mean, that's pretty devastating stuff. I've talked to folk who have been divorced. And they say, that, well, I feel guilty. I feel overwhelmed. I feel hopeless. All of it devastating. And I've talked to folk who have had prolonged sickness. And they can feel depressed. Uh, they can feel anxiety and isolation. I talk to people who have been unemployed for quite considerable periods and they say they feel, have feelings like a shame. Uh, they feel discarded. They feel lazy. I talk to folk who really feel quite inferior to others around them and they say that they have feelings of worthlessness and feelings of being second rate. Can you see how devastating those feelings are? And how it isolates you and puts you apart from others? The end result of all those feelings of aloneness is one feeling which I think overarches everything and that's the feeling that you are different. When you are alone, you feel different. I wonder how many of you remember the uh, movie Castaway. It was really quite a hit a few years ago. And I think 
cast away has got some particularly poignant moments in it because uh, you have the character being essentially marooned on this island for years. Uh, he's in a plane crash and, uh, and, uh, and he's the only survivor of the plane crash and he finds himself on the island. And there's that one scene in the island where uh, he's going through some of the stuff that's been salvaged from the, from the aircraft wreck and he finds in one of the parcels a volleyball. Wilson Brand volleyball. But he sets that volleyball up on a stump and begins to ultimately talk to it. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie, I'd like you to welcome Wilson. Wilson's going to be sitting here looking at us for the whole morning. But the, the real point that I'm trying to make at the moment is, here's this man, Bruno Ivan, talking to Wilson. He spends the next four years talking to Wilson. All of his conversation centers around Wilson. What drives somebody to talk to a volleyball? Think about that for a moment. Some incredible feelings of loneliness do that. Devastating feelings of loneliness. And I thought about some of the uh, things that made me motivated uh, that man to sort of focus his life on Wilson the volleyball. You know, separation from loved ones, total separation. Isolation, you know, far from home. Exclusion, hopelessness, homelessness, all of those things. They're the feelings that you have when you're totally alone. What Ellie is doing this morning is uh, capturing on canvas some of those emotions of aloneness and as we travel through the morning just keep an eye on what she's doing and perhaps you'll make some kind of um, reference to them out of your own experience. But I just want to take a moment to make this statement. What I'm dealing with this morning is really the big picture uh, and we're going to talk about the big picture solution, we're not so much going to deal with how you deal with those particular emotions that you may feel when you're alone. And I don't want to just sort of whitewash them and disregard them and say they're unimportant because we recognise completely how important they are and, and how debilitating they can be to you. So I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in that place to search out somebody, talk to somebody, talk to a friend. Get into a connect group if you're not in one. Be around people who can support you. You don't need to be alone when you're feeling like that. Very important that you do that. And I want you to keep this word different in mind now as we move on through what I'm talking about today because we're going to unpack the consequences of feeling different this morning. The good news though is Jesus has got a solution. Jesus has always got a solution. And the Bible talks about the reason why some people call themselves alone. It's identified in the scripture and forms the basis for every single reason we may have for naming ourselves alone. There are too many who feel separate from others and separated from God because they do not understand what Jesus has done for them. And that's really what my task is this morning, to help everybody in the room understand just what Jesus has done for us. 
doesn't have to be like this. We don't have to feel alone. I've said that we're basing this series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul about AD 60. Ephesus was a beautiful city in the ancient world. In fact, it was one of the jewels of the Roman Empire. It was right up there with Rome and Alexandria in beauty and splendor. Um, uh, Ephesus was a harbour city, but strangely an inland harbour city. It was built on a large lagoon that was connected to the sea by a, a narrow waterway called the Caister River. And it was in this city of Ephesus that 80,000, up to 80,000 Christians had gathered. Now Paul's writing this letter to them because it had been the centre of evangelism for many years, but, but now things are kind of slowing down. And Paul wants to warn them and help them to understand that one of the reasons for things slowing down is a very, very serious problem that had to be deal, dealt with. And the section of scripture that we're talking about is Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22. And I want to read each one of those sections this morning. Uh, I'm going to divide it into three sections. And I want to read this first section now, which is verses 11 through 13. Reads like this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you were once, you who were once, were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's an amazing little section of scripture. See, God hates division. I want you to realise just how much God hates division. If you think about it, the whole purpose of this redemptive plan was to break down division and bring people together, people together and people together with him. He hates the division that comes from racial tension or ethnic tension or the tension that comes from being from a different culture. And Paul picks up that thing in these verses. That's what he's talking about. And one of the reasons that Paul is writing this phrase is because the Ephesian church, which was once vibrant and thriving, is now feeling the tension this, the tension of many Gentiles coming to faith. You see, the Gentiles are outnumbering the Jews who have been coming to Christ by the thousands. By the thousands. Paul is highlighting the resultant ethnic, racial and cultural tensions and therefore the resultant differences that people are feeling. This is a very complex situation. God has always wanted all peoples to be united through faith in Him. And we see this demonstrated in many ways in Scripture. All the way down through Scripture, we see that it's God's plan that all people be united and be one. Even though God designated the Jews as His people, He did so in order that they would be a blessing to the world. Not an isolated people. And He was clear in the generations leading up to the coming of Jesus that His heartfelt intent was always to save people from every nation, race and culture. And he did that from the very beginning. 
of the institution of Israel. God makes this clear to Abraham, who's the father of Israel. In Genesis 12 verse 3 he says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then in Genesis 17 verse 4 he says, This is my covenant with you. You shall be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. Abram means uh, revered father. And Abraham means father of many. Now we also see that God's heart for all people is described in many other ways. And if you start to read through the scripture from uh, the arrival of Abraham on the scene, you see this evidence many times. Moses, the lawgiver, marries an Ethiopian woman, Zipporah. She was an Ethiopian. She wasn't a Jew. When Jesus led Israel out of slavery in Egypt to worship the God of the Bible, their number included a mixed multitude, the Bible says. The mixed multitude were not Jews. I love the prophetic prayer that Solomon prayed at the opening of the temple. We just read this a few weeks ago, and I actually journaled on it. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 41 following, it says, and this is a summary of a couple of verses, it says, When the foreigner who comes from a foreign land calls on your name, do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. That was a prophetic prayer at a time when the people's mindset was to be very exclusionist. God's plan is clear. Reconciliation would come through the Jews and would come in one Jew, Jesus Christ. Jesus would reconcile people to God and to one another. After the church was born, many Gentiles started coming to faith. And it was very hard for the Jews to accept the Gentiles. Now the Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentile. It was built up over many, many years. They said that the Gentiles were only created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Now, they felt that God loved only Israel and all the nations that he had made. Uh, out of all the nations he had made. And the feeling was so high, and caught this one. This was part of their law. It wasn't even lawful for a Jew to help a Gentile mother in her hour of greatest need because that would only bring one more Gentile into the world. Until Jesus came and proclaimed God's love for all the world, the Gentiles were an object of utter contempt for the Jews. And all of this is despite the fact that God ultimately divorced Israel for being as sinful as the Gentile nations. See, Israel was no better than any of the other nations on the planet. Even the apostles who heard Jesus in the flesh tell them that he came for the salvation of all mankind debated the issue over and over and over again. The feeling was so high that after Jesus ascended back to the Father, there were volatile disputes between the apostles over the issue. Paul speaks sternly to Peter over the issue of maintaining Jewish traditions that were no longer necessary after the cross. Many of Paul's letters carry warnings to Jewish Christians to abandon these rigid, rigid religious rules 
that were attached to their old religion. And as Paul writes to the Ephesians about it, that's the reason that this is so complex. This is a very difficult thing that he is addressing. I wonder if you notice some of the words that were used in that little section that I read a minute ago. Words like uncircumcised. I mean, that was a major insult to the Gentiles. And of course, the Gentile Christians are personally abused and insulted. Now, I, I love the scripture later on. Uh, Paul is addressing this very specifically. And you know, without going into the detail of what circumcision actually is, uh, Paul makes it very clear how much he detested it. He says, I wish they had the whole way cut the whole lot off. I mean, he's pretty, pretty sort of wound up about the issue. It was a very insulting thing to say to the Gentiles. Uh, words like separate, which means set apart, excluded, which means you're a non-participant, without hope. That means you've got no expectation for pleasure. Without God. In a, in a godless situation. Foreigners. That means you don't belong here. And that's exactly why the Gentile Christians felt isolated, felt different. Now, in more than 30 years as a church leader, I've had the amazing privilege of travelling to many parts of the world. Wherever I've been, I've noticed one common thread in many diverse cultures. I've seen dividing walls, separating many people groups with long and tense conflict involved. Now, I've seen firsthand intense racial hatred between tribal people, tribal people and people of the plains in Thailand. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, I've seen the uh, conflict between the different ethnic groupings in China. I've observed the hatred between Jews and Arabs. I've seen national hatred between particular countries that I've been in, philosophical hatred between East and West, religious hatred between Protestant and Catholic, political hatred between opposing political parties. Everywhere I've been in this world, I've seen insults flying left, right and centre all over the place. Separation, exclusion, hopelessness between men and women, men and men, women and women. And the resulting aloneness that that causes. Paul says in very clear language, and I love this, it says, but now, but now. He said, when you say, make a statement like this, uh, it means from this point on things have changed. Paul says, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love the way Paul uses this little uh, word, but now. It's like a symbolic hinge. Uh, it's representing the time before the cross and the time after the cross. Before the cross, you know, far away, at a distance, totally separate. After the cross, brought near. Unity. What? Love it. You see, the cross changes everything. The cross changes absolutely everything. Now it's different. He says, no more abusive language, no more separation, no more far away, no more exclusion, no more hopelessness. But now it's finished. 
It's over. Everything's changed. There is no reason for anybody to feel alone and to feel different on the basis of race, ethnicity, culture, through somebody's death, through unemployment, or whatever. Because we're all one in Christ. See, one means one. One means one. It's not more complicated than that. We're all one in Christ, in Him. Now, I want to read the next uh, section out of Ephesians chapter 2. This is verse 14 through 18. It says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in His flesh the law with His commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I like the way that Paul picks up the last word of the previous section that I read, read, the word Christ. He picks up Christ as his theme and he kind of runs through it through this little section. See, the focus has shifted from Jews and Gentiles uh, to Jesus because he is the key. He's always the key. All the way through history, Jesus is the key to solving the problem of loneliness that comes from the divisions of being made. See, verse 14 says, He, meaning Jesus, He is our peace. So instead of division, we now have peace. Instead of far away, we now have near. And all of that is made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. He did three things in that section. Three things. The first thing, Jesus made us both one. Jew and Gentile are no longer divided. We've become one in Christ, Greek and Jew, one Australian, indigenous Australian, one American, Native American. <coughs> Everyone has been made one. All are able to accept God's gift of salvation and are born again by the same Spirit. We have the same Heavenly Father, so we're one. Very important to get that. Second thing that Jesus did in this section, Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. At the cross, Jesus took, him, took on himself all the scorn, all hostility of men, everything that causes aloneness and feelings of difference, and he forgave us all. He forgave us for that. At the cross, Jesus took on the sin of the world. He took on the scorn, our hostility, and he was alone. He was totally alone. I wonder if we could appreciate that so much. We're talking about this issue of feeling alone today. Jesus was totally alone on the cross. Remember his cry on the cross? My father, why have you forsaken me? 
why have you left me all alone? Totally, completely isolated. Just think back to the movie we were talking about earlier, Castaway. We see the character in the movie totally isolated, totally alone, totally separated. I don't know about you, but when I watch that movie, I, I kind of pictured myself in the same circumstances and, and just wondered how I would feel if I was in that sort of situation. And it didn't feel good. I'm a people person most of the time. And I like my aloneness a little bit, but most of the time I like people around me be totally without anybody. It's a devastating thought. That's how Jesus was on the cross. For the first time in all of eternity, he separated from God the Father. He was alone. And he was alone because of our hostility. Yet he forgave us. It's amazing. The third thing that Jesus did he nullified the law of commandments that are expressed in the ordinances. That's a big deal as well. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he demolished the law which was broken because of its regulations. The regulations have become a means, really, of just keeping the Gentiles out of reach, out of God's gracious promises. And the Jews were using these rules and regulations as a legal means of, of sort of keeping them far. Now Jesus rips all of that down, destroys it utterly. Jesus hated anything that kept the Gentiles far away from him. Remember the time when he went into the temple, into the outer courts, and he was incensed by what he saw. Saw the money changes, the merchants there, and he becomes angry, and he turns the tables over, makes a whip, drives them out. My house shall be called a house of prayer, he says. What's he saying? He's saying this outer court, this is provided for people of all nations to come and pray to the true God, and you're refusing them that access. God hated any kind of issue that barred people from his presence. Jesus hated anything that divided people from God. And it was through these three things that Jesus did for us at the cross that reconciliation with each other and God was achieved. Now, without stretching the meaning of those verses beyond acceptable limits, I think it's fair to say that we can extend everything that Paul is saying about bringing Jew and Gentile to, to, together to apply like this. You see, there's all sorts of dividing walls in life, isn't there? People put up all sorts of walls that go beyond the racial divide and ethnic divides. All sorts of walls are put up that make us feel different and alone. You know, dividing walls of philosophy, of nationalism, uh, of class, of generation, of socioeconomic grouping, and so on. You name it. And all of these things cause men and women everywhere to feel alone and different. Faith in Christ brings us all together in one. We are truly one in Christ. We are reconciled in Christ. Now, reading those last verses, we put it all together, picking it up in verse 19. 
of Ephesians 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, the focus shifts again in these final verses. Uh, they begin back in verse 11 with a focus on Jews and Gentiles. And then in verse 14 to a focus on what Christ has done to solve the problem. And now in verse 19, the focus moves to what we need to do as a result of all of that. And I think that's exciting. See, Paul begins by using the word consequently. He's saying, uh, in essence, that uh, the result of all I have just said has implications on you and me. So Paul begins, consequently, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Because of everything that Jesus has done, you are not strangers and aliens to each other. Everything you were formerly, you no longer are. Remember, Paul started by saying Gentiles were strangers and aliens. Now he's saying they're fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with God's people. We all have the same citizenship. So we can't feel alone. Then he continues. Consequently, we're all members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. See, we're all members of the body of Christ. We're all built on the foundation of that. We are members of the church. We are members of a common foundation. And that foundation is the life and the example of the New Testament apostolic leaders who had the privilege of seeing Jesus establish the new covenant. That foundation is the life and example of the Old Testament prophets who were always looking ahead to what Jesus would do ultimately in establishing a new order. See, Jesus was the source of everything. That's why they called him the cornerstone. And then Paul concludes with a final consequence. Consequently, the household of believers is being built into a holy temple by the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place for God Himself. I love that. All people, regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic standing, academic status, theological basis, what side of the street you live on, whatever, are being built into a temple where God lives. I think that's awesome. I think it's sensational. We're all being built into this same temple. What if you can see the dynamic, dynamic of these verses that we've been looking at? Someone says, now because I'm made to feel different, I feel alone. Because I'm made by circumstances or made by something that people said, or made by you know, these terrible, horrible issues of race, ethnicity, etc. I feel alone. 
God says, because he's reconciled all into himself through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, something really wonderful is happening. He says, there's neither Jew or Gentile. There are no divisions. All men and women are one together. One. All men and women are the dwelling place of God. God lives in all of us. I think that's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome in every respect. Yeah, what I'm talking about today, I really believe, can be quite liberating. Sometimes uh, we need to summarize things. And, uh, this morning, um, I just want you to have a look at a short AV that's been prepared by uh, one of the men of our church, which really summarizes everything that I've been saying. And uh, I think it's sometimes good to hear the same truth from a couple of different sources. So just listen to this and then I'll come back and tie it all up. Hi, my name is Alain. Most people probably don't know this, but I'm actually a visual, which means that I tend to think about things more than interactively. Being around lots of people wears me out, and as a result, I can be totally alone in a room full of people. But here, we're talking about a different kind of alone. The alone of being separated. Back in 1987, my new bride and I went on a honeymoon to Germany, where most of her extended family live. We visited most of the family and they got to meet me. But we also visited the dividing wall between East and West Germany. We actually had sniper rifles pointed at us from the watchtowers that were located in no man's land between the East and the West. So we quickly left that place. And we heard stories about families who were separated because of the war in Berlin. Parents who went to work in the morning, and during the day the wall was put up, so when they wanted to come home, they couldn't get back to their families. We went back again in 2008, and the walls were down. But you can still see the difference between the old East and the West. Now the nation is reconciled. A wall separated people in the days of Paul and Jesus as well. The temple was surrounded by a stone wall to prevent foreigners, any non-Jews, from entering under threat of death. Historically, God's people were the Israelite Jews, starting with Abraham, whom they looked to as a father of their faith. Though God designated the Jews as his people, he did so in order that they would be a blessing to the world. And it was clear in the generations leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ that his heartfelt intent was to save people from every nation, race, and culture. God's plan was that through the Jews would come one Jew in Jesus Christ who would reconcile people to God and one another. In Christ, I'm reconciled. The separation between Jew and Gentile in the early church is not merely some historical problem. The names might have been changed for today, but black and white, rich and poor, single and married, suburban and rural, young and old, etc. The problem of separation still exists. The result is a wall of separation and division between people today. In Ephesians 2, 1-22, one Bible commentator said that this paragraph provides one of the most wonderful descriptions of peace and reconciliation, where believers come near to God and near to one another, which is Jews and Gentiles they're talking about, through the saving death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, all things are reconciled to each other and to God. As a church of Christ, we must exhibit this gospel-centered reconciliation in our lives, both corporately and individually. All of the talk about diversity and racial and cultural reconciliation in our day is in fact quite old. 
A few thousand years ago, Paul explained how Jesus is the answer for human divisions. Once reconciled to God, we can then understand living reconciled lives with other people. Practically, this means that when we become Christian, we may retain our cultural affinity, but it's no longer our primary identity. Rather, our primary identity as Christians is in Christ. And in Him, no matter what our history, culture, and position in life, we're closer to one another than we are to those in the same history, culture, and position. In Christ, we receive a new father, a new family, and a new identity as part of a new people group comprised of amazing diversity held together by the unity of being in Christ. In Christ, while we have great diversity, we ought to live in even greater unity. Because how we do life is far less important than how Christ has reconciled us to God and to one another. I encourage you to each and every day pray and fight for the unity that you have, and that is found only in Jesus Christ. I think it summarises what we're talking about extremely well. So we began by making the statement that some feel that their name is alone. Well, we've got a new name. I think you know what it is. It's been pretty obvious. It's called Reconcile. And it's a wonderful name. We are reconciled. Let me just kind of close this off by bringing a final challenge. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18, Paul emphasises just how entrenched reconciliation is in the life of a Christian. It says in these verses, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, alone has gone. The new has come. Reconciliation has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Honestly, reconciliation is one of the most impacting words in the Bible. You know, the Greek word is kataleso, and it simply means an exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. See, we were all once hostile to God, but now we've got this friendly relationship with God. We've been reconciled. That's what it means, simply. You know, because we've been recreated through faith in Christ, we have a responsibility to serve others by exchanging hostility towards them for a friendly relationship towards them. That's what the whole picture of reconciliation is about. So how do we respond when somebody comes into this room who's different from us? And that's a challenging question. We need to think about it. How do we respond? How do we respond when somebody comes into a room who's been divorced? Maybe more than once, maybe several times. Uh, are we hostile? Maybe just subtly hostile? You know, maybe there's some subtle body language that we use? Or maybe we just plain ignore them. Don't want to talk to them. What about somebody who comes into the room who has a same sex preference? Or a couple who are living together outside of the marriage relationship and see nothing wrong with it? And what's our response? Or someone from a different socioeconomic group? Or someone with a 
totally different political view. The truth is, there's all sorts of people, all sorts of diverse people who come into our lives, and we're going to see them experiencing terrible aloneness if we don't exercise this ministry of reconciliation in the spirit that Jesus exercised it in. They experience this aloneness because we manage to project our hostility towards them, either subtly or overtly. We cause them to feel different. We have a ministry of reconciliation. It's been given to us. And a lot of people say, what's my ministry? And they're running around all over the place trying to find out what they should be doing wrong. Paul makes it very clear, we all have this ministry of reconciliation. And we all have this responsibility of looking out for someone, that person who calls themselves alone and serving them. We serve them by exchanging hostility for friendship. And when we do this, we help them exchange their hostility towards God for a friendly relationship with God. Now at the start, right at the very beginning, we talked about the different feelings that many people have and we explained that while we weren't sort of immediately addressing this, uh, we still we still have a responsibility to reach out to each other. This ministry of reconciliation really emphasizes this. Church, can I say that we need to look out for those who feel alone? Look out for them. And when they come and begin to speak to you, give them the time to speak to them. Encourage them. Help them find their way in a connect group. And if the issues in their life are so deep that they need some further help, direct them towards the church office where we can direct them further for help. That's the ministry of reconciliation at work. And that's the extension of everything that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. My name is not alone. My name is reconciled. I'm reconciled to God. I'm reconciled to you. And I want to help those who are far from God to be reconciled to him and therefore reconciled with me. See, my name really is reconciled and so is yours. I am the Lord your God I go before you now I stand beside you I'm all around you Though you feel I'm far away I'm closer than your breath I am with you More than you know
my bed. 